Welcome everyone to the Change Starts Here podcast. I'm your host, Dustin Odom. And this week, it is an honor to welcome my good friend, Kim Nelson. Kim Nelson is a longtime PK-12 educator in Iowa. She is an inspirational person. I didn't know her personal mission statement until recently, but I, I could tell you, I could have probably made it up knowing how she lives her life. And so her mission statement is to encourage and inspire others to find their greatness. And that's something that if you spend five minutes with Kim, you know that she's about and uh, she loves well, she loves strong. The thing I appreciate most about Kim is her ability to be encouraging at the same time of being direct and giving really good actionable feedback. So our, our subject today is all around trust. How do we build trust at a school and district level? in a very practical way. We've had the author, you know, Dr. Dr. Covey or Mr. Covey on, on our podcast before uh, talking about trust a couple of times. And that's an awesome conversation. Those have been awesome conversations. Bringing Kim on, Kim as a coach oversees kind of our trust implementation at school and district levels. And so we had a more practical school level conversation and hearing her talk about how she handles trust in her own personal life, as well as how she attacks the building trust within schools was really encouraging. And so again, it's a, it's a practical conversation that I think you'll have a lot of takeaways, but again, Kim is one of the most sincere people you'll meet in her way, her ability to listen, uh, empathize and communicate effectively is just awesome. So I was, obviously I love Kim. I'm, I feel blessed to be her friend but she's just someone that is a phenomenal guest. And I think she says before she was a little bit nervous, you will not notice it, uh, but she's someone who is just really easy to listen to and someone you want to work with. And so uh, it's my honor to welcome Kim Nelson to our podcast today. So I hope you enjoy it as much as I did as always. Uh, if you subscribe, thank you for subscribing. If you haven't, please hit the subscribe button. It's a way to continue to show that we're having the impact we're hoping to have. Uh, but most importantly to me, what I would love is that as you hear Kim's advice today, if there's someone in your life who needs Kim's encouragement, please share it with them because Kim is someone that uh, everyone could use a little bit more of in their lives. And so uh, enjoy it. Thanks for listening. Appreciate you. Kim, thank you so much for making time to join us today. I'm excited to talk to you. Absolutely. Happy to be here with you today, Dustin. I'm pretty sure we've only known each other for about 10 or 11 years. So it's pretty awesome to uh, know that our both of our worlds have come full circles to be here together. So um, with that, you we've talked about this. You've heard the podcast. You know the question that we ask everybody is, who are you and what do you love about what you do? Well, I am in my sixth year as a leader in me coach and consultant and uh, serving amazing schools in the Midwest mostly. And the thing I love the most about my job is the people that I get to work with and interact with the most. And so every day is an adventure and working with a variety of people makes it so much fun. Yeah, well, I, oh, you and I met, I think, at the school that you not only were an administrator at, but that you went to as a child, right? Is that correct? Yeah, I actually went there my senior year. So I went from... And, and those of you that don't know Iowa, we were one of the last standing six-on-six six basketball havens in the United States. And so I went from actually five-on-five five basketball to six-on-six, six, which was quite interesting. And uh, then later returned to be an English teacher, uh, prom sponsor, basketball coach, and then eventually in the administrative role. Yeah, I, I 
I can't, I forgot about the six on six conversation because when I first started going up to Iowa regularly about 12 years ago, I had never heard of six on six and how I describe it, you know, playing college basketball, I describe it as like a, um, uh, a really cool drill. And I'm not trying to be offensive to anybody who played it, but like if you played, you know, five on five, that was a good drill that you did often. It was strange to have, you know, three people come on and just play offense all the time and three on defense all the time, you know, or whatever that is. It just, it just was, it was unique. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. You could definitely focus in on your part of the court and yeah. made it interesting for sure. Wow. I forgot about the six on six. All right. We will not have the podcast today on six on six. So, you know, one of the, the, the reason why we had you on, we've, we've had, you know, some authors on our trust content, which have been great and we've really enjoyed it, but Kim, you've, you've led and are leading kind of our trust content impact throughout our coaching community for all of our leader and me community. And so uh, I'm really curious to dive into what trust looks like on the ground level and a practical level. And before we get there at the school level, I'm curious, how has trust played a major part in your own life? Oh, it's just, it's a huge piece of everyone's everyday life where it should be, right? And so um, speaking from an educator's perspective and experiences, every interaction that you have, whether it's with a parent or a colleague or a student, it's an opportunity each time to really build connections and deepen relationships. So trust is in everything we say and do and think. Yeah. Have you, I mean, yeah, as you know, the, my kids that are behind me, uh, you know, they're, we're working on the trust practices and we talk about it, but you, you're fortunate. You, your kids are a little bit older. And so you're really experiencing the throes of life and seeing your kids develop. I'm curious how that's played out as a parent in the last few years. Cause my oldest is nine. I've not gotten to those teenage years yet. I'm curious how that, that, uh, has played out in your household. Yeah. And so, you know, as a parent, you just want to do the right thing and raise your kids right. And with the firstborn, sometimes you wonder, am I screwing it up? And uh, so one example that just will always stick with me is when our daughter first had her cell phone back when she was in middle school. And I think she was about sixth or seventh grade. Um, we, we had rules, ground rules, as far as putting that phone up, getting to sleep, taking care of what she needs to take care of. And my husband happened to see a flash of light come from her room one night and he comes running up to our bedroom and says, hey, I think she's got her phone. What do we do? And so I'm like, well, we're going to confront her. So we confronted her and she sat up in her bed, not joking, with her glasses on in the dark. <laughs> so what are you doing? Nothing, sleeping. And we're like, really? Out comes the cell phone. And as we processed through that, obviously we knew she needed consequences for that. And my husband kept saying, she needs to earn our trust back. And I looked at him and I said, well, what does that mean to earn trust back? And what does a seventh grader know about earning trust? And so lucky kid that she is, her mom does this work. And so we got out the trust deck cards from the speed of trust content and those sat on our dining room table. And so every night for the next couple of weeks, we went through a card a night at supper. And as you go through those 13 behaviors, you know, of course, her younger brother's sitting there as we read about being transparent. And he says, well, duh, because it's common sense, right? Um, but not always common practice. So what that gave us, though, as a family was the vocabulary and the conversations around how we build trust and the reason behind it. And so as she got older and was able to start driving, for example, we wanted to be able to trust her that she was going to do the right thing. 
So yeah, very pivotal time in her life. And I think it really paid off to really dive deeper into that. Do you ever hear, oh, mom, please don't break out the Franklin Covey cards. Please, please, please don't. And <laughs> now that you've gone through it with them. <laughs> you know, I'm pretty fortunate. My kids understand it. They they get it. They see the value and they see the results. And maybe that's odd. Um, but I guess we've really raised our kids pretty mature. And yeah. uh, they just understand that relationships are super important. And if we're going to walk the walk, we've got to talk it. We've got to live it every day. So I'm curious, you know, when you think about your time as an administrator and, you know, you've had six years and not all six years you spent, you know, getting a, a PhD or black belt in this trust content, but you've developed it over that time. I'm curious what mistakes you notice that you made as an early administrator that you wish, you know, now you know what you know, you could have gone back and done things a little bit differently, maybe. Yeah, well, I think it's just a reflection of the speed of education, right? I think when you're younger, you want to please people sometimes, and sometimes you just have to be pretty direct and transparent. And it's not about pleasing people, but it's about doing the right thing. And so those are some of the things I've learned. I've also learned you don't always have to respond right away. You can pause, you can reflect, um, use those geniuses and, and really step back and process things. Uh, I think sometimes we're too quick to react and then we look back with hindsight and think, oh boy, I could have really done that differently or thought through that a little bit more. Um, so I think that comes with time and age and definitely um, some failures along the way for sure. So, you know, I'm fortunate like you to travel around to visit a, a bunch of different schools in a bunch of different areas across the U.S. And I, you know, when I, when I hear folks post-COVID, you know, I, I always say leadership has always been a challenge pre-COVID, post-COVID. It's just, it looks different now and yes, some of them can feel more weighty. And so I don't try to say, you know, it's not that it's not tougher now, but it's it's always felt really tough. I guess the question I have for you, for someone who helps work on school and district performance, particularly around trust, how how do you help schools identify that trust is a key area they need to focus on? Because if you think about what their challenges are, I've got to get uh, my students academically moved up. We've got to have attendance going up. We've got to decrease referrals. How does trust play a role in that? And how can, if I'm an administrator listening, how can I, what questions do I need to be asking myself or what do I need to be thinking about to figure out how trust is impacting my performance in those areas? So many things that we have a sense of urgency about in education today, right? And the ripple effects of our actions and, and what we do. And I think even since we've gone through COVID and some of these last few years, the trials and tribulations, it's even more important than it was pre-COVID. So I, I think it's one of those things too, that when you walk into a school, you can feel it. You feel a sense of trust in a building or the lack of, it's the elephant in the room. And so we have to be willing to confront things head on and be, like I said, use those trust behaviors, like being transparent, righting wrongs, some of those things. And that's hard. That's sometimes hard to do. However, it also comes back to, I'm a firm believer when we talk about culture and buildings, whether it's trust or other pieces of culture, everyone's responsible for that. It's not just the administrator. It's every stakeholder, every teacher, everyone that comes in and out of that building. So it's a huge piece that I think sometimes we don't realize because we get into the grind of school and the urgency of everything that's involved. But I'm a huge believer too, that if we put that first, the other things will fall into place quite easily. 
Yeah, I think so. When I when I hear you coming and talking about trust, and I'm sure you face this when you work with schools, I again trust just feels nebulous. It, it feels two things. One, it feels like the right thing. Like I don't, I've not met a leader that doesn't get the importance of trust. But trust can mean so many different things. It feels kind of untouchable, or it feels so nebulous you don't know where to start. So how do you help people figure out the first steps to take with their staff um, or their organization to be better leaders? Yeah, it definitely comes back to the four cores of credibility and that self-trust piece. So behaviors are kind of the after effect. I've mentioned the 13 behaviors a little bit. What it really comes back to is the core understanding of those four cores. And so that deals with um, having the knowledge and the ability but then also having the integrity and the character. And so that's self-work that we have to do um, because how we choose to live, how we choose to work is going to impact our relationships then kind of that ripple out effect for sure. Yeah. So what what you you say is you start out with um, to the four cores. So explain those just briefly or broadly in a way that people can understand as I'm listening. I'm like, yeah, okay, so four cores, what is that? Because 13 behaviors we've we've dealt, we've we have spent time with them in the past i wouldn't assume anybody listening would know all 13 because heck i don't know all 13 i've been here in 12 years um but what what are the four cores yeah so the four cores come back to two main categories competence and character so under competence we have the two areas of results and then capabilities so you know think about that teacher that's able to get the results in the classroom as far as moving the needle on math fluency um, and then the, the capabilities as far as the skills, knowing the skills to how are we going to approach a student that may be struggling with math fluency? What interventions do they need? So that's the competence piece. And then on the other side, which is basically, if you think about a tree, this is the roots. It's the character piece. And so we've got integrity and intent. So making sure that we're strong, um, that we have strong morals and values and beliefs and that we're living those and we're not just talking about it but we're also choosing to walk the walk the talk that's great i think that that helps give it a little bit more concreteness i think so i i'm peeling back an onion with you because i think about my early days as leading folks uh in schools and you know you know this as good as well as anybody it's a lonely place sometimes and the newer you are in the role, the more, more lonelier it can be just because you're dealing with your own self-doubt as well as your network of leaders hasn't grown as strong to realize that you're not any different from anybody else. Everybody's just as insecure as you are. You have, a, so I, I guess where I'm at is I'm thinking about the school. You come in, you know, you've identified trust being an issue. You know the four areas to really try to dive into with folks, but you have so many different personalities on your staff. How do you help folks kind of dial it in how to start building trust when you have you know some people uh may have trust issues for very different reasons as another group of folks in the school and so how do you help administrators start building trust when you have different personalities well first of all it's it's a knowledge issue right so 99 percent of the time people aren't jerks it's it's a lack of knowledge or lack of skills so how do we fill that that gap right and so sometimes it's just learning about those four cores and those behaviors. I've seen some buildings, this is brilliant. One of the buildings that I've worked with took the, the cores and the 13 trust behaviors and in their PLC time, they decided to um, do some self-assessments. And from that, they found a trend among their PLC team. 
And they were able to hone in on a couple of those behaviors. And so each time they met it as a PLC, each cycle, they would discuss, where are we at with this? What's some evidence to show that we're making a growth or an impact in these areas with our students and other stakeholders? So I think it, you can make it simple. It can be overwhelming at first, but if we can just yeah. break it down and choose to focus in on what our big rocks are, we'll get there. That's great. What What do you see as common barriers? So I obviously have put my barriers out there of just like this nebulous, it feels so big and untouchable. What are other common barriers you see in organizations for building trust? I think it, it's just a tough time that we live in. And sometimes, you know, I, I think back to being an administrator and some of our interactions with parents, for example, they might bring with them some experiences that they had that weren't so great with school. So for example, if they had some discipline issues or some some areas of growth, um, some special needs through school, and maybe it was handled with the utmost integrity. So they bring that with their child and they kind of look through that lens. And so we have to be very aware of that. I think the first step for us as educators is the awareness, where are they coming from? It's that habit five, seek to understand first. So to me, it's the paradigms and, and the mindsets really that we're addressing. And then from there, you know, if we're working as just from the whole school model, it's how can we work as a team? What do our kids deserve from us? What do we deserve from each other too? Um, we've really got to take care of ourselves in the education world because so much is coming at us um, that, you know, we've got to have each other's backs. And so the best way to do that is to focus in and really work together as a team. I, yeah, as you said something, it's not like I had a perfect existence with the schools. I mean, I still have a uh, a moment in seventh grade where my teacher thought my notebook was too messy and she pulled out all my papers and threw them on the ground in front of all my friends and I did not react well but obviously so I'm a little scarred still by this seventh grade moment where I just walked myself to the principal's office before I did something crazy and uh but I wasn't burned like I don't have it like when I think my kids are there I don't I'm not trying to worry about, you know, I don't, I don't have a distrust for the principal or the staff. If my kid's in trouble, I know it's probably my kid, you know, <laughs> making poor choices. Um, I haven't thought about it. Like, how do you, when you've seen a school do this well, I guess, proactively try to communicate and build trust with the families so that regardless of they had a good experience at school as kids or a bad experience, have you seen any best practices where uh, they're really being great about being proactive on the front end of creating high trust with families. Yeah, I think you you kind of talked around it a little bit there, Dustin, as far as that communication. It's got to be open two-way communication. We can't just throw stuff at people and expect them to soak it up. It's got to be both ways. We've got to be able to listen to them and hear what their concerns are and then respond and make some change if we need to make change or at least consider it. Um, so it, and I think part of that goes back to, you know, in, in this world, how do we reach parents? Because emails, emails are overwhelming. So is it social media? Is it some of the different um, apps or programs that schools have access to, to really make sure that we're understanding and hearing from each other and really meeting each other in the middle on that? When uh, you, I'm, I'm sure you still have a lot of administrator friends uh, from around Iowa and other places now that you travel so much. What... When they, when they first ask you, well, how do I start working with my teams on trust? What's your first example? Is you have them do a book study 
do you, is there a training that you have them do? What, what, how, how do people engage with you and your team um, to build better trust? Yeah. You know, there's so many options, which is great. Book study is certainly a great idea. Another huge option is leader me online. We have so many resources and actually our trust team is working on developing some, some more trust options for folks. And one of the go-to things that I see a lot of schools utilizing are those student trust scenarios where they learn about the behaviors, but then they also learn how to apply it and how to practice it. So that's been a huge asset for a lot of schools to kind of play with that and extend that language to the student level. Yeah. So what is that? I was going to ask you before we get out of here, what does that look like for engaging with students? I mean, you gave me a good example of what it looked like for your daughter when she was in middle school, but what does it look like for, I know you've worked with elementary kids before, I know you've worked with high school kids. What does that look like in terms of engaging uh, and teaching these trust practices to kids? Yeah. So, you know, you've got such a variety of different methods you can use. Sometimes I've seen classrooms do it a whole class discussion, and sometimes it's a partner or a small group interaction where they actually just kind of talk through it. I feel like, especially with our middle school and high school kids, we can't be too scripted in what we do. We have to be responsive to where they're at because I think they'll smell fake and they'll call you out on it. Right. And so we have to be authentic and we have to be down to earth as far as gosh, what are they really living and going through? Because it's so different from when we grew up in this in this world of social media. So how do we help them develop trust and then use that language in their conversations during these interactions? So you you said Leader Me Online has these resources. When I know that you work predominantly with our, our Leader Me schools and districts across the country. What 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 does that look like when you say they Leader Me? Because I know a lot of folks, we know Leader Me uh, as you know, building leaders within the school, but I don't think of you're building trust within the staff and the community. How, how do you guys work that in and building your, your school culture? A lot of times where I see it coming into play is typically when a school's kind of got their feet underneath them, they've been implementing a leader in me. They've been looking at those three columns of leadership, culture, and academics. And maybe it's like, okay, we, we, we've got the initial foundational pieces now, how do we kind of push the needle and and start to see some areas, maybe based on that MRA, um, that yeah. assessment that they do, that survey, to kind of guide and increase some of those trust behaviors within the building? So, you know, it's it, we're really pretty fortunate to have those tools to help guide the work. And then from there, it's all about how can we support them? And uh, it can be through videos. It can be through some online learning. It's just a variety of things, which is nice because the school can kind of take it and see what works best for them. That's great. Uh, you know, you've been here, I think, six, seven years now. What what has been the most impactful part of this trust content just for you personally or professionally? Right. Because I think you were a fan, obviously, before because I've known you for what, almost 12 years now. Uh, so obviously, I know you know, we talk about modeling something and you're someone who has lived this content before you ever talk about it. So I know this is ingrained in you. Even still, I'm sure you have had something that's been like an aha over the last six years. What has that been for you personally? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think the the one, one of the things that just came out in the last year is Stephen M. R. Covey's book that Trust and Inspire and yeah. how we can be better leaders, right? And so as you read it, again, some of it's common sense. It's going to reaffirm some of the things that you've done, but it's also going to help you figure out, ooh, maybe I've been slacking in this area and I could really grow on that. One thing that we did as a coaching team was to hone in on those four cores 
And the one area I really honed in on was results because I felt like, you know, I, as a, as a principal, I had more control over, Hey, this is what we're tight on. This is what we're loose on as a building. But as a coach, you're, you're just a step or two removed from that. So how can I still get results without being present in that building every day? Um, I had to think of that differently. And I think by being able to hone in on what it means to get results and what it means to be a coach and support those buildings, it really helped me explore different avenues and different ways to approach it. That's awesome. Is there, before we get to the last rapid fire questions, is there anything about the trust training, the trust coaching, the impact of trust in a school building that I didn't ask? That is something that you love to share with folks when you're traveling around and people just ask you about what you do. I think you covered a lot. I think the biggest thing, and, and you spoke to this already, Dustin, was it's an in integral part of an organization. Whether you realize it or not, it's there, it's present. It's just one of those things that we have to be intentional about. So what piece makes sense to be more intentional about to see some growth, not just within our staff, but within our students and families? Well, I think, I mean, is it something that you notice that all ebbs and flows, right? So like, let's say, you know, at the beginning of the year, it feels like you rock the trust. Your staff is going into the year super excited. And two months later, the vibe can be very different for whatever reason. So it's something that uh, you always have to be working on. Is that right? Yeah. So what you're speaking to is that intentionality and reflection piece. The two words that always come up for me with any leader in me content. We have to be intentional about the work that we do. And we have to pause and reflect and you know, we just got through what I refer to as mean march. It's in the Midwest where we don't see the sun for 10 days straight and people get grouching. That's when we need the trust behaviors the most um, because we've got testing coming up and we've got other things at the end of the school year that are so key and so important that if we don't have that common trust level within our building, some things are not going to go well as we finish the year. Well, that's great. So we've got rapid fire questions as you know. So we'll, let's, okay. let's try to go as quickly as possible. Again, you can take your time. I'm going to ask the questions. I generally am the reason that we don't go quick because I get all excited about whatever your answers are. So I apologize in advance. Uh, okay. First question, what's a habit or discipline that you use on a daily or weekly basis to be the best version of yourself? And I'm not talking seven habits. I'm talking about just your own personal practice. Yeah. So habit seven, the, the one component I'm really good at is um, each night before I go to bed, I journal what I'm thankful for from that day. And so mm -hmm. I've done that for the past six or seven years. And then I write in funny things like if we got three inches of snow and my family loves to reflect and look back on that. So that's kind of a fun thing we do as a family. How have you noticed that make an impact on your life, that discipline of journaling every night? I think it's that gratitude piece, right? Um, our days can ebb and flow just like anyone else's. And so we've got to keep the focus, keep the main thing, the main thing. And if we invest in reflecting on that, it's going to reaffirm and give us strength and confidence to move forward when the days are tough. I was talking to, I got a chance to have dinner with a friend of mine who's a, a superintendent of a very, very large school district. And she talked about, you know, just a year ago, and she's been a long time educator, uh, the power of a gratitude journal. And she was trying to compel me to do it because she's seen how big of an impact it's made on her life in such a short amount of time. And so it's it's cool. Two times in a week, I'll either be smart and listen to both of you right now and go start, or I may have to wait for my third this week and then officially been convinced. So um, that's great. All right. So favorite book or a book you've read that you often recommend to others to check out? 
there's currently I'm reading the six working geniuses and it's amazing because it talks about when you're on a team, maybe where your role fits in. And my good friend, Maria, she, she already knew what I was. I'm tenacity. I'm a finisher, but it kind of explains why some people are really super good at creating. And some people maybe are just better at finishing the work and how you need each other on the same team to make it successful. That's great. You saw me look around my, my wife who is working from home. I think this morning, she rarely works at home. She's a chief of staff of a school district, but I think she's got some meetings or something out here. And so, uh, that is one of her favorite books right now. I think she's got all these workbooks. I think she's done some, uh, training around it. And so it's funny. You said, I've not heard anybody else talk about it, but she swears by that book. Nice. All right. Uh, third one, walk-up songs. You know, you know what a walk-up song is. What would be your walk-up song right now? Again, they can, they can switch, they can rotate, but what's your motivational song right now? You know, this is funny because my daughter is a senior and she's playing her, her final high school year of softball and her song, this is the one that's standing out for me too right now is from Top Gun Maverick, Danger Zone. (laughs) So for some reason, not that I go into a lot of danger zones by any means, but that just seems to be one that just gets your blood pumping and gets you moving. So, so obviously the resurgence of Top Gun has been introduced to my kids and Noah over here, my six-year-old is the one who requests Danger Zone all the time. And that just cracks me up because, uh, I used to love it obviously. And it's just funny to see that it's like his favorite song right now. And it's not because I play it all the time. It's just because, uh, he's watched both Top Guns now and is obsessed with it. Yeah. All right. Great movie. Last question. Um, you're someone who is surrounded by really great leaders educators and you know you're someone who engages well uh on instagram people don't follow you on facebook or instagram you're fun follow because you really take seriously the uh, power of inspiration particularly inspirational quotes i'm curious what piece of advice have you come across lately uh Mm -hmm. from a leader or seen you know on online doesn't really matter that uh you think is just a great piece of leadership advice or change advice or personal development advice that you just have to share with people yeah. So I, I listened to Ken Coleman, who's one of the Ramsey Corporation guys once in a while, and it's yeah. fun to listen to. And he, I just caught him at this point where he was sharing, when you think about your work life, it's 75% is the number you want to hit as far as the percentage that's enjoyable. You're always going to have about 25% of your job or your role that might be not so fun or not so great that you just have to get through. So one of my good friends, you know, Dr. Jill Shulin, I, I was sharing that with her and, and she said, okay, let's try it. Scale of one to 10, where are you? And so we had this really great conversation. Are we seven to eight? Because that's really where we should be if we're at that level of, of high job satisfa- satisfaction. So yeah, I love Ken Coleman. He's fun to listen to and he's got a lot of great wisdom to share. That's awesome. We need to have a uh, next time i should have brought jill on with you just to have a powwow uh i didn't think her name was gonna get invoked today but uh my favorite thing to talk to jill shulin about is her her heisman trophy award or her wendy's heisman she hates when i talk about it so um a lot of humility she's a great great person yeah well kim uh i have missed you i it's so awesome that we get a chance to connect and i appreciate knowing how busy your schedule is you making time for us especially on such a quick uh, request so thank you Absolutely. Good to be with you. Please support us by subscribing to our YouTube channel, uh, podcast on Apple or Spotify, and help us celebrate the beautiful, messy work of shaping human potential. Mm-hmm.